Morning, everybody. All right, we're going to do it one more time. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Welcome again to Faith. My name is Mike. We are glad to have you with us today, Uh, whether you're joining us in person, whether you're joining us online. We are in the final week of a series that we have entitled uh, Before You Speak. And in this series, we've been recognizing that communication in whatever form it comes is powerful. Uh, in fact, we've, we've been looking at a statement made by one of the wisest men who ever lived about communication. Solomon once wrote this. He said, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. And Solomon's just trying to get us to understand that the things that we say, that we post, that we send, they have the power to either destroy or to bring healing. To us, the people we're in relationship with, to the relationships themselves. And so over the course of the series, we've been looking at three simple but profound principles that are designed to help us communicate for good instead of for ill. So uh, before we get started and wrap things up this week, we're going to take care of some business. Uh, we'll take some time and pray. Uh, out in the lobby, there are invite cards for the series that's going to begin after Easter. Uh, we're entitling this series Signs, and in this series, we're going to be looking at the miraculous signs that are recorded in John's biography of Jesus' life. Uh, we'll spend some time the first week just answering the question, hey, can you really believe in miracles and not need to check your brain at the door of this room? And then each subsequent week, we'll look at one of the miracles that John records and talk about who Jesus is and how life works in light of that miracle. And so, uh, again, the invite cards are out at the desk. There's a digital option as well that you can download on the website. And your job over the next couple weeks is to be thinking about somebody who is in your life who's not going to church, um, and to be praying for that person, for their heart, and looking for an opportunity to invite them out. They are not in your life. That is not a random thing. It is not an accidental thing. God has you in that person's life for a reason. And so uh, as we pray, I I would encourage you to call that person to mind, to be praying for that person, and then over the next few weeks, look for an opportunity to invite them out. So let's, let's pray about that, some things going on here at church and our time together, and then we'll jump in. Father, um, I just want to pray for Jordan and for Mariah that you would work in their hearts, that you would remake them, that you just cause their hearts to be receptive to you. Father, I pray for an opportunity just to have a normal, natural kind of conversation with them where I can invite them out for this series. And uh, Father, we just want to lift up uh, the names of the individuals you have in our lives right now that we would um, see their hearts made soft by you and that we would have opportunities to invite them out. Father, we want to pray today just for uh, Johannes Eidness as he's received the diagnosis of cancer. Um, Father, we want to pray for him and for Jody and for their kids. God, I pray for your hand of mercy and healing on his body for the surgery that's going to take place in May. God, that you would be with this family and help them in the midst of this. Father, just as we wrap this series up today, we pray that you would make our hearts receptive to you and to your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
So again, we're, you know, we're looking at three principles, and we've taken these three principles and we put them into the form of three different questions. And we're saying before you hit send, before you post it, before you say it, before you write it, you would do well to ask yourself three simple questions. Is it true? Is it necessary? And is it kind? Is it true? Is it necessary? And is it kind? Now, to, to kind of cover where we have been and to get us ready for where we're going to go today, we're going to go way back in time to the mid-1990s, which depending on your age, it's all about perspective, all right? You know, if you're a teenager, that's ancient history. Um, but we're going to go back to the mid-1990s, and one of my dearly departed mother's favorite television shows, Everybody Loves Raymond. All right. Now, we're going to watch a few clips from Everybody Loves Raymond. We're going to kind of dissect those clips and process them and, and look at where we've been in the series and where we're going to go today. Um, and in, in, the, in, in the first clip, really, all three of these clips, you've got Raymond and his wife, Deborah, and they're, they're having dinner, and they've got his older brother, Robert, is over for dinner. And Robert has a new girlfriend over for dinner, and Robert's super excited about this girlfriend. In fact, Robert thinks she could be the one. If you're like, the one, just ask a single person. They can explain to you what the one is all about. So think this, this girl could be the one, all right? Now, if you're watching on the live stream, there's some copyright issues with live streaming, and so you're going to be able to hear the audio on the live stream, but you won't be able to see the video. We'll explain what happened in the first clip, and then the, the remaining clips, you'll be able to track along just fine with just the audio. So let's watch this first clip, see what happens, and we'll go from there. <laughs> wow, good hands. All right. Um, oh, it's okay. I got it. Okay, I'll be. I'll put this down. How great is she? She's pretty great, right? Yeah, not bad, Big Top. <laughs> oh, Robert, I am so happy for you. She is terrific. Oh, thank you. You see, I made a laugh a couple times. Yeah, you're hilarious. Go. sitting at home, you're like, what in the world just happened? I wish you could have been where I was watching the faces in the audience. Um, so, Ray, you know, Robert's girlfriend kills a fly, puts it into a napkin when she thinks nobody's watching. She eats it. <laughs> now, we've been saying in the series, things can happen that, you know, give us cause to feel like, hey, we need to talk about this. <laughs> All right? So, you know, like when, when your, your brother brings home his girlfriend who he thinks he's going to marry and she throws back a bug like it's an after-dinner mint, you know, it leaves you wondering, do we need to talk about this thing, all right? And so there, there are three questions we've been asking. The first one is, is it true? Like we want Ray, as he communicates, to be careful. He's got the facts right, to be courageous enough to make sure that he gives them straight. And, and with the first question, it's really not too difficult. He saw it happen with his own eyes, all right? Couldn't believe it, but it was right there, right? So when it comes to, is it true, he's safe. 
right? Which, which then takes us to, is it necessary? If you see your sibling's prospective spouse eat a bug, is it necessary to say something? How you answer that may depend on how your sibling treated you when you were kids, right? But I mean, for the most part, we'd be like, yeah, you should probably say something. Is it necessary? Is correct. So in this next clip, we're going to watch Raymond wrestle a little bit with is it necessary, even though we'd probably all agree he should go there. Let's see what happens next. Can you believe this? Mom consents when I'm having a good time and she's here to kill it. Listen, Robert, just relax. It'll be fine. Look, if Angela really is the one, she's going to have to meet your parents at some point. You might as well get it over with. Right, Ray? <laughs> she's not the one. I saw something that I have to tell you because you have to know because I saw it. What are you talking about? What, what did you see, Ray? Angela ate the fly. What? What do you mean? The fly that was flying around. Angela killed it. It fell on the table. She put it in a napkin. And then she... So, Ray decides, hey, the consequences of silence are too great. I, I got to go here. I got to say something. Now, is this the best time? Is this the best place to do this? I know. We, we can argue about that. But he's like, no, we, we've got to go. But my, my brother's girlfriend is popping flies like they're Tic Tacs. We've got to talk about this thing, right? So then the next question he's got to deal with then is, is it kind? Because we've been saying in this series, listen, truth is important, but truth alone isn't going to get the job done. And, and figuring out, is this necessary? That's important. But, but necessary truth alone can be destructive. How we go about presenting necessary truth is every bit as important as is it true and is it necessary. So if you weren't watching for it in the second clip, pay special attention in this third clip to how Raymond does with is it kind. Let's watch. And what is your problem? I'm telling you, I saw that woman eat a fly. Oh, she did not. You must have seen something else. Well, what and what? What did I see? No, 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 no. Maybe it was a crouton or something. A flying crouton? Are you drunk? Look, I'm trying to help him. How is this supposed to help me, Raymond? I'm doing what any brother would do. If you see Deborah eat a fly, I want you to tell me right away. Not eat a fly. Yes, she did. No, she. Yeah! <laughs> now, just a second, Raymond, because what I think you're really saying is uh oh, Robert found someone special, someone who's so great that she actually may be the one. But because you're such a sniveling little insecure man, you'll do anything to keep me from having what you have. She ate a fly. <laughs> Goodbye, Raymond. Robert! What is wrong with you? 
All right, so let's, let's dissect this a little bit. All right, because, I mean, here Raymond, he's trying to help. And yet the thing goes sideways, and it becomes toxic and destructive. Like, what he said was true. He saw with his own eyes, it was absolutely true. What, what he said was necessary. Like, he needed to tell his brother. He's trying to, he's living into the golden rule of communication. Listen to me. If you see my wife eat bugs, I want to know about it, all right? But how he goes about saying it is where he gets into trouble. Now, it's a TV show, it's fun, it's exaggerated, but, but things like his tone and his body language and his posture and his volume and his use of, of sarcasm, his expression of frustration, all of those things fail the is it kind test. And in the end, his brother feels attacked, his brother feels hurt, and hurt people hurt people, and that's exactly what Robert does. See, when it's on TV, it's fun. When it's our lives, not so much. Like, we, we've probably all been in a spot where somebody came and, and they, they, they rolled up their communication cannon, and they gave us necessary truth they just, just let that thing rip with no thought for how they were communicating it to us. And it wasn't fun then. And we, probably, we probably all had times where we've done that. Rolled up our communication cannon on somebody, took aim, and we blasted that person. And then the aftermath, it wasn't fun for them. And depending on what kind of person we're dealing with, they, they might have turned that thing right around on us. It's no fun for us. Just stop and think, if you can, of a time where somebody did that to you. Just, let me ask you, when, when they did, did you truly hear what they had to say? Maybe they're nasty, aggressive enough where you listened, but you're really taking any of that to heart. And when they blasted you with that necessary truth, how did it impact you personally? Or how did it impact the relationship? Or, or outside of hoping to avoid that situation ever again, did it really motivate you to change in any way? Like I, I remember being at a pastor's retreat and having this conversation with another pastor and I said something that just set him off. It didn't mean to, but I did. And he just pulled out the can and And if I'm honest... I listened because I couldn't get away fast enough, but I didn't really take it to heart. And it was not good for me personally. It was not good for the relationship. I've, 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 just being honest, I've intentionally avoided that individual since then. If I don't have to interact with him, I don't want to. And it didn't really motivate me to change much. Now here's the thing. If that is true when somebody aims, aims their cannon at us, is it any different when we aim our, aim our cannon at them? See, is it true as important? Is it necessary as important? But how we communicate necessary truth is important as well. So today we're going to spend some time looking at what the Bible has to say about is it kind. And there's a number of places that we could go, but we're going we're to spend the majority of our time just camped in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, right on verse 29. Right on 29. 
Now, before we, we talk about 29, we're going to kind of go back and look at a little, just real briefly, summarize some of the context leading up to it, because it'll help us unpack 29 better. Chapter 4, roughly verses 17 to 24, Paul's talking to the church. He's like, listen, you're part of the family of God now. You are in Christ. That should change who you are. If you are in Christ, you shouldn't be the same person anymore. Your perspective, your attitude, your desires, how you interact with one another should all be changing to reflect this new reality that exists in your life spiritually. And then in verse 25, Paul says this. He says, therefore, so he's looking back at the conversation he's just had with them about, hey, you're new people, you're in Christ, you should interact differently with each other. In light of that, he says, therefore, ridding yourselves of falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, because we are parts of one body. Paul's like, listen, you're following Jesus now as you live in the family of faith. It's not okay to be deceitful. You should be, is it true? The answer to that question should be yes. He says, you're members, you're parts of one another. Another translation will say, you're members of one body. Paul's like, to be dishonest with each other in the family of God, it makes as much sense as my hand trying to deceive my foot. And then in the next verse, Paul will say, be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. See, Paul recognizes as we live life together in the family of God, sometimes things get contentious. Sometimes people say and do things that set us off. And there's an opportunity for, for that to impact how we communicate truth to one another. And Paul knows that, that when, when emotions flare, that it can, it can cause truth, which should be a good thing, to become a destructive thing. You give the devil an opportunity. You, you, there's a, like an opportunity to drive a wedge in between us, to, to cause communication to be hurtful instead of helpful. So Paul's like, listen, be, you're going to get angry. That's okay. Don't let this influence how you communicate truth to one another. And then in verse 29, Paul talks to us about he gives us wisdom for how to communicate truth even when we're angry or upset or frustrated or whatever the negative emotions part of the equation. In 29, Paul says this. He says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. Now think about this because Paul uses some very all-encompassing kind of language. He says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Only such a word is as good for edification. Now, is it just me or Paul's all-inclusive language? It, it, a little bit overwhelming for anybody else. Gonna leave me hanging. Thank you, Steve. <laughs> in fact, I, I had a friend who, a little bit bristly in the way he communicated, he would tell you, um, Sarcasm is his spiritual gift. Um, he became a Christian, and we were reading through the New Testament together, and we got to this verse, and he said to me, like, this might as well be a vow of silence for me. Like, I, just the way I communicate, I don't know, I can't say anything else to take Paul seriously. Rather than let ourselves get overwhelmed by this and not take it to heart or just kind of pass over it, 
What we're going to do today is just take it a piece at a time and see what kind of wisdom Paul has for us when it comes to is it kind. Now, in this passage, Paul isn't telling us anything we don't already know. He isn't telling us anything we haven't already said. Paul's basically telling us, hey, communication has the power to rip a person down or to build them up. He starts off, he says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. The word we have translated here is unwholesome. In the original language, it's meant to capture ideas like, like when you have something that's decaying or rotting or eroding away. Paul wants us to understand that whatever form our communication takes, that we can go in a direction where our communication does this to people and relationships. Like a parent can say something to their child that causes that child's security to rot from the inside out. A husband can have his wife say something to him that causes that man's sense of, of, of confidence to just erode out from underneath him. A brother can say something to his, his younger system, sister that will cause that girl's self-image to just decay. Our words can have this kind of impact on other people. And so Paul says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Now, before we go on, I, I want to take note. How we, unwholesome communication, this can happen in a host of different ways. Like, typically we think unwholesome. Well, that, you know, we're talking about being profane or being vulgar. And, and listen, cussing somebody out, just getting really crude in what you say to them, that's a great way to tear them down. Like, if you're looking to rip somebody down, that'll get the job done. I mean, you just chuck respect out the window and you go there. But we tend to limit unwholesome to just that. And while that is part of what unwholesome is, some of, us, some of us are too sophisticated for profane and vulgar. We'll instead say things like, that was an incredibly ignorant thing of you to do. you got to be stupid to go there. What kind of level of incompetence am I seeing? Nothing profane, nothing vulgar, but just as efficiently I tore that person down. And then others of us, the really slick ones among us, we've got enough sense not to say it or put it in writing because then somebody can hold us to it. We use tone or facial expressions or body posture or position or volume to communicate the kind of disdain or contempt we hold another person in. Unwholesome communication can take all kinds of forms. But in the end, it, it's, it's something that is disrespectful or demeaning or contemptuous or disdainful or intimidating. And whenever we go here, when we communicate, and whatever form of communication we use, we fail the is it kind test and we tear another person down. Now, growing up, my mom, she did all kinds of things right. She struggled with this one. In my mom's defense, raising myself and my siblings, it was like living with a pack of wolves. Um, like the, the stories I could tell you, the things my siblings did, it was like, are those kids sired by Satan or your father? They're just out of their minds. I mean, and I, 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 wasn't, I wasn't any better than any of them. I was oftentimes a ringleader. Um, 
I had no sense of safety. I gave no thought to the future. And I did not listen worthy darn. In fact, I listened so poorly, my parents at one point in time thought I was like, like I was hearing impaired. They literally took me to an audiologist to have my hearing tested. They did not have the money to do this, but they were concerned that I was deaf. Only to have the specialist tell them, your son hears fine. In fact, your son hears better than most people. He just doesn't listen. Now, when I was in grade school for about a six-month period, my mother just, I drove her over the edge, and she regularly went here with me. During that six months, I was regularly referred to by my mother as deaf-mute. Hey, deaf-mute, did you hear what I said? Hey, deaf-mute, are you listening? Hey, deaf-mute, why are we having the same conversation again? Now, that was better than 40 years ago. There's still part of me that feels that. Because our communication in whatever form it comes, it has the power to rot and decay and erode. It can rip another person down. And Paul is saying, hey, as you, before you push send, before you post it, before you write it, before you say it, if you're going to go here and how you're communicating, you need to rethink your communication or maybe just not say it at all. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment. Now, the word we have translated here is edification. This is actually a construction term in the original language. And it's used to describe, you know, like building, constructing, raising up a building. And what Paul is trying to get us to understand here is that, yeah, you can rip somebody down with your words, but you can raise them up. You can literally put a person together with the things that you communicate and how you communicate to them. Paul wants us to understand that, that our words can instill confidence in the hearts of the people we speak to. That, that the things that we say can build a healthy sense of identity into the soul of the people we are talking with. That, that with our communication, we can affirm and strengthen a sense of security in another person. We literally can build another person up. Several Christmases ago, I was having a hard Christmas. Listen, Christmas, if you're on staff at a church, Christmas is always just a crazy season. It's just how it works. If you don't like that, you're in the wrong business, all right? But this particular Christmas, I was on staff at another church, and it was just, it was Christmas nuts, and then it was another level nuts on top of that. And then on top of that, I had a couple people who I knew who passed away during the Christmas season. And I didn't see it coming, but their deaths really hit me hard emotionally. So I was just, I was just sucking wind. Now, my wife had enough sense to see that. And so my wife, in addition to just a, a regular Christmas gift that year, she gave me the gift words. She went out and got a card and she wrote a note in an effort to build me up where life was tearing me down. Here's what she said. Dear Mike, thank you for being a wonderful friend and husband. 
Thanks for being gracious with my shortcomings. Thank you for working so hard to make, nice, make a nice life for us, especially when it's difficult. I'm looking forward to another year with you. I'm sure it'll have its difficulties and challenges, but I'm so grateful to be facing them with you. I, I wasn't just a card for me. That was food for my soul in that season. And I couldn't tell you what physical gifts my wife bought me that year. I still got that card. See, our words are powerful. And Paul is saying, hey, before you post it, before you say it, before you write it, before you send it, ask yourself, is this kind? And if the answer is no, rethink this thing. Or maybe don't go there at all. And if the answer is yes, chances are you're on the right track. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, only that which is good for edification. Now, in light of all that Paul's saying here, some of us have questions or even objections to that. And we're going to deal with those before we wrap this up because they're fair, and I share some of those with you. For example, some of us will go, okay, so, so, so you're saying that somebody, when somebody's doing something that is clearly wrong, we never confront that person, we never hold somebody accountable, we never say something to somebody that's hard for them to hear, we only say nice, soft, mushy-gushy, make them feel warm and fuzzy on the inside kind of stuff. No, that's not what we're saying. Listen, when somebody's doing something wrong, to not hold them accountable is to be party in their destruction. Sometimes the most life-giving, life-changing things that a person can hear are things that initially are difficult for them to hear. We're not saying you can't confront. We're not saying there's no accountability. We're not saying you can't say difficult things. We're saying when you go there, you shouldn't be disrespectful or demeaning or contemptuous or disdainful and intimidating in how you do it. Listen, I can confront your inappropriate behavior without doing this. I, I can hold you accountable without going here. And, and, and just because I'm edifying, that doesn't mean that I'm putting my stamp of approval on your behavior. So, somebody... To, we bear the image of God. And as image bearers of the divine, we have a responsibility to treat each other with a certain level of respect. Whether, whether that individual is living into that image or not, whether, whether that individual is marring that, in, that image in the moment or not, they still bear the image of the divine. And there's a degree of respect that we should show that person regardless. It does, doing so doesn't mean that we agree with what they're doing or approve of it. We can confront without going here. Or, or some of us will go, well, okay, well, what about debates? What about, like, what if somebody has mistaken ideology or bad theology or just whack philosophy? I mean, like, if somebody's regularly spouting these ideas that don't line up with the scripture, should I just say nothing? No. no there are scriptures that talk to us about how we should do that. But again, as I engage people in conversation or debate about the issues of our time, 
Whether you're talking about the sanctity of life or global stewardship or human sexuality or social justice or more. I don't have to do so this way. I don't have to behave in these kind of ways as I'm having a conversation or a debate. And all kinds of folks will do this and then they're like, well, I'm just standing up for the truth of the scriptures. All the while failing to realize they're being a jerk in Jesus' name. I can, we, can, we can discuss things, we can address bad ideology and theology and mistaken philosophy and not have to go here. And then finally, some of us will go, okay, I appreciate all of that, but you don't know who I'm dealing with. You don't understand. If I don't go here, they'll never listen. If I don't go here, I'll never see any change of results. And I can, listen, I can appreciate how frustrating someone can be. But when we go here, those of us who are in the family of God, when we go here in the way we communicate, we are knowingly violating scriptural directives that we have been given that are meant to dictate how we interact with each other. And when we do that, we trade in our integrity for somebody's compliance. We reduce ourselves to being communication bullies. And and we sacrifice the long-term health of our relationship with that person on the altar of immediate results. Is that really the kind of people we want to be? The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. How we communicate in whatever form we choose, it can be a blessing or it can be a curse. Simple questions. Is it true? Is it necessary? Is it kind? It can go such a long way in making sure that we're bringing healing instead of hurt. As we wrap things up today, we're going to do so in worship. But before we do, I want to explain I mean, there's all kinds of vegetation on the stage today. Some of that is in, in relationship to Good Friday, or uh, excuse me, to Palm Sunday. Some of that is in relationship to um, just memory of a family member who's passed a while ago. But I want to call out specifically the white rose that we have here. We have a tradition here at Faith where when somebody in, who's connected to our church or one of the ministries that's especially close to our church, when somebody makes a commitment to Christ, we bring a white rose and we have it on stage to celebrate that. And as many of you know, uh, we partner very closely with a ministry called North American Japanese Outreach, NAJO. Now, ministry's been hard in this season for everybody. It's been especially difficult for a ministry like NAJO. And I've watched them work very hard to try and engage in ministry in creative ways in the midst of COVID. And one of the things that they've done is they've hosted some very small, intimate Bible studies in their homes. And this week, in the midst of one of those Bible studies, they had somebody commit their life to Christ for the first time. And so we want to, as, as we pray and move on and worship, we want to celebrate that with them. And if there's anybody here, whether in person or online, who has yet to have committed their life to Christ, 
but you know you need to and you're ready to, I'd love to pray with you and do that. So let's pray together and then we'll move on and worship. Father, thank you just for the words of Paul. Just for encouragement to think beyond necessary truth, but to think about how we go about communicating it. Father, help us as a family of faith to think about, to ask ourselves, is this true? Is this necessary? Is this kind? And to be the kind of community where we are just forever getting better at that. Father, thank you so much for a, for a life changed, for eternity redirected. Someone who has surrendered their life to Christ and for the role that we get to play in that as a church. And Father, just some of us who are here today, maybe in person or online, we want that ourselves. And so we just confess, God, we have sinned. We have done life the way we wanted to do it, not the way you have called us to do it. God, forgive us, please. We can't fix this thing ourselves. We need a Savior. We need Jesus. Thank you that he came and lived and showed us the way. Thank you that he died to make right what we couldn't fix ourselves. Thank you that you rose him from the dead to prove everything he said and taught and promised was true. We just want to surrender all of who we are to him. It's in his name we pray. Amen.